And I went up to him and, and just greeted him. And he had he had bug eyes the size of a deer in headlights. I mean, he, he was just, he said, have you heard? I said, have I heard what? He said, the map. Have you seen the map? I said, what map? What map is there that makes you like this? <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out that he and his wife had just bought, built a home right by the Walmart River. And so he moved in, they moved in this past uh, April, and uh, maybe it was a year ago, April, and they're loving their new home, and, and now the map has come out from these scientists who are saying that something with 13, 18 trillion gallons of water that Hurricane Florence dumped is all going to come rushing down tributaries, land in the waterway, the PD, and then into the Wapamal, and that we're going to be absolutely underwater. All Saints Paulie's Island, if you've been there, would be five to seven feet underwater, according to the map. Everything west of the Guatemala was going to be literally, not just, it may get wet in the basement, you know, hot basement. <laughs> it's going to be in the house. And of course, now people panicking, I never did get flood insurance. And so everybody's watching the map. Well, we've just been watching the hurricane come out the Cat 4, the Cat 3, the European models, the spaghettis that were coming at us, and, and some were going to North Carolina, some were not. At one point, there was one category 3 is going to sit there in North Carolina, and she's going to make up her mind when she decides to make up her mind. And she might be, according to the European model, and the Europeans are always right. <laughs> it's coming into you. And so people were evacuating. People were saying, you know, I'm not evacuating. No, 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 I'm too stupid to that. <laughs> <laughs> and so another man who's been hiding addiction for so many years, completely in control, got caught by his wife. His wife looked him in the eyes and said, I am done. A different kind of cat hold. Sending him into a panic sending him to a terror. Do you know what that's like? How it affects your mind. You can't think of anything but the thing that you're now thinking about. You can't. A medical report, finances, job, it doesn't matter what the circumstances in. It's your cat for coming into you. And suddenly the mind gets fixated. It gets, it gets, it gets driven into the, to the one thing and we need it fixed. We need it fixed. We need people who can fix it. So I can feel comfort again and peace again. And the emotions just go. And you can't do anything about it because emotions tend to be, at the end of the day, emotions. And they can tend to leave. And they can tend to get out there. And we can tend to do things out of emotion that, that aren't really according to is good thinking, but we don't have good thinking. We need wisdom, we need discernment, we need to know what to do, but the emotion is so real. And we put our head down at the pillow at night and we can't sleep, it's too restless inside. We try to sleep. We don't know how to sleep. And suddenly, we find that the anxiety of the current story turns at night into worry of what might be, what couldn't, could be, which, what is possible that this goes this way, this goes that way, this is what could happen. And then there's that silent, silent whisper that always happens of the devil himself who comes to torment us. He is the one that gives us the gift of, if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't be feeling like this. If you really trusted Jesus right now, you'd know the peace that passes understanding. So what's going on with you? Are you 
You're supposed to be. But inside, you're not. Are you really? Have you heard that voice? There's one person that has heard that sound. It's a mocking, it's a mocking voice. It's a condemning voice. It has that guilt inside it that I'm not what I should be or I wouldn't be this way. If only I had faith like somebody else. I don't have that faith. And then inside that comes that, that quiet sound of the name. The most ancient default there is from the very beginning after sin entered into the world and Adam and Eve got behind their trees the finger of blame came out. This is not my fault. This is not about me. It's the woman you gave. It's always, it's always something else. Something to try to justify ourselves. And then inside that whisper comes the doubt. You know, if, 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 if things aren't going well, why, why do you think God's allowing it? God's allowing it? You know, God's allowing it? Why is he, if he loved you, would you be going through this? Are you sure you'd be going through this? And why doesn't he do something? He's not doing anything. Why isn't he doing something? Are you sure about him? Are you sure about who he is? Really? And then comes the sound of despair. <laughs> and that's what I heard from this man who had come out of addiction and his wife said, I'm known for you. He looked at me and said, I bet God has done with me also. I don't know what to do. I'm lost. I have no purpose in life. I'm gone. See, the reason I say these things is that we live in a culture that is isolated and alone. And that's where the devil plays with us. When we're isolated and alone. And when circumstances hit and the storms begin to rage and we begin to pray, we don't even know how to pray. We've lost the faith to pray. We don't know how to pray. We're not even sure if he's going to hear or, or now. And he's all confusing because now I see him through the lens of the circumstance rather than seeing the circumstance through the lens of him. Did you get that? Oh, it changes everything. He becomes a monster as I see him through the lens of my situation. And so I begin to pray. What I need most of all right now is I need the shepherd of Psalm 23 to arrive in the valley, to get into the valley. I need that rod, I need that staff, I need not to fear evil, I need the comfort that comes. I need the shepherd to come into the midst of the valley. And you see what we're doing already. We're already having a conversation about I need you to do for me, to get me out of the mess I'm Fix it. Lord, fix this. Get me out. Do something. And you can almost hear your children. And some of you have had children like this. I know you have. I know you have. I know you used to do this. <laughs> when, you, when you didn't have, and you said, Mom and Dad, give it to me. And they said, no. And you said, I hate you. <laughs> Why? Because I'm not interested in you. I'm interested in what you can do for me. To fix this. Why? Because everything is the situation. Everything is the turmoil, the crisis. Everything is. And you know this. You know this because Jesus taught us this. In this world we have trouble. In this world we have trials. We have tribulation. All of us have to deal with these questions. Because at the end of the day, we are not Lord. And we find ourselves helpless in situations and we don't know what to do about it. And this is where the body of Christ rises. This is where the people of God 
This is why this passage is so essential in its character to health to the soul. For us to be able to make the journey, to be able to say at the end of the day, I can't do this by myself. I cannot do this alone. I cannot do this alone. And suddenly you've got surrounding you people of God. The people of God who know Him. The people of God who are not confused by Him. And what do they have as the basis of surrounding you? They are secure on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the chief cornerstone. They believe and to know the word of God to be true. They're going to speak truth into the conversation, wisdom into the conversation, discernment into the conversation, because that's what we need the most, to know the will of the Lord for us, to know Him at the center of whatever situation or whatever circumstance that we happen to, to be in. And the people of God, by the Word of God, in the power of the Spirit of God, begin to surround us. Do you know what that's like? <laughs> but do you know what it's like to find that you're not alone? That you're not condemned for feeling that I don't have faith in this story. I can't help myself. I don't know what to do. I'm not a strong Christian. No, wait a second. You're just fine the way you are. You just need the body. You weren't designed to be by yourself. You mentioned Terry Fulham. Terry's analogy in this is the thumb cannot decide to be a thumb on its own. If you put the thumb on the piano, it's not going to do much. I promise you. Because the thumb was designed to be part of something. To be something. It's connected. And you know the first thing that the people of God do with us in a situation like that? First thing. First thing the people of God do. When we're spinning spinning, the ground shaking, when we're spinning, the thunders roll, the storms are coming down, the cat four is bearing upon our soul. Do you know what the people of God, the first thing the people of God do? They declare the Lordship of Jesus over you and over your situation. The Lordship of Jesus. What does that mean? It means the job in the Lord by the Spirit is to get your eyes and my eyes off the situation and onto Jesus. That is, in the flesh, impossible to do. What I just said takes a miraculous act of the Spirit of God doing something in our soul that suddenly sees Jesus as Lord over me, over my story, over my situation. Do you understand that? Let's, let's, let's just lay back on some scriptures. Did he not say, all authority in heaven and earth is mine? Did he not say, such as a passage like at the end of Romans 8, and all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced not of death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor powers, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus my Lord. No circumstance, no storm, no situation is bigger than that. Bigger than that. And suddenly you find the people of God, by the Spirit of God, resting on the Word of God, making sure that the eyes are no longer on the storm, but on the Savior. Some of you, your mind has already gone to Peter on the water, haven't you? It's the same story, isn't it? 
the same story. The same, that same emotion, that same beauty, that, that, that when we look to the storm, things begin to collapse. But when we look to the Savior who rides on the storm, who presides over the storm, no matter what happens to us, and that's why the vision given to us is, is but aren't you here to calm the storm? Yes, but listen to this. That shepherd who came to the valley stays in the valley, and as long as he's there, there's peace in the valley. He didn't promise necessarily to get us out. He promised to be Lord in the midst of it. Did he not? Is that enough for you? It is enough, isn't it? Because in Jesus we find everything is derivative of him. That even at our last breath, when death comes roaring for us, we can know the peace that passes understanding <laughs> as that transition happens for us and we go home. Why? Because Jesus is love. And he has got everything we need to now face the situation that we're in. He will give us the wisdom. He will give us the insight. He will give us the discernment in the people of God, through the people of God, by the Spirit of God, in the Word of God. All the things that are, that are going to pour into us, He's going to give us the wisdom that belongs to the people of God, no matter what situation we face. And that's why this medical view of the headship of Jesus and the body all flows, because from Him comes the wisdom that we need. From Him comes the life we need. Everything is found derivative of Him. And that's why what the Scriptures will teach us is that wisdom, you can find this in Proverbs, you can find this in James chapter 1, if you're lacking wisdom, ask Him. Wisdom always is the practical application in the moment, in the story, in the situation of what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do it, when we're supposed to do it, by the strength and the power that belongs to Him to face it and to be able to do it. Why do I say it that way? Well, because, because all of this is derivative from the head. And this is self-evident. If you take the head off the body, what happens to the body? So, so the derivative nature of this is fundamental to the life and the well-being of every Christian and to the life and well-being of the church itself as we gather together. So when you hear that there's a rising group of Christians all over the country and all over the world called nuns, N-O-N-E, they have no church affiliation, they're doing life on its own. My friends, it does not work. It's not how the systems are built. It's not how the body is built. It's not how scriptures are built. It's not the way Jesus has designed us. Am I right about that? How do you do the love one another if there's no one another? <laughs> Actually, that's tempting for your introverts. I mean, I know that. <laughs> Always listen to comparative. Why is that? Because what, what Paul will do in 1 Corinthians 1, what James will do in James 3, is show us that the wisdom that belongs to the world cannot address our conversation. They can put band-aids, they can put palliative care in place, they cannot heal the soul. Why? Because the wisdom of the world, no matter how brilliant the doctor, no matter how brilliant the counselor, no matter how brilliant the person in the academic mindset of the world, the world does not know God. The world does not have the premise upon which it can rest and build truth, wisdom, because it comes out of the Lord who created heaven and earth and all things inside. Does that make sense to you? And that's why the appeal is, is that we actually have access to the mind of Christ, the wisdom that comes from above, 
to practically apply that which we need to administrate what we need to do no matter what the story is. So, let me tell you how this works. For example, King Solomon, age 22, remember his opening prayer to the Lord? Give me a wise and discerning mind. It's fascinating where the Bible does this. Some translations say, a wise and discerning mind. And others say, a wise and discerning heart. And of course, they're interchangeable, aren't they? The entire being to know wisdom and discernment so that I might lead your people, that I might distinguish good from evil. I'm going to be dependent on you for the wisdom that I need. And so consequently, you find things such as in Proverbs in chapter 4. Um, you've got this, this, and you've got this in the, a lot of this in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, but it's the same kind of thing. Um, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive, Proverbs 4 1, that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son of my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will keep you. Love her. She will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. I love that. <laughs> the beginning of wisdom is... Get it! <laughs> it's, the, it's the same pulse. If you... If you ever took this and, 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 and reflected back on, on Job 28, Job 28 is a comparison of how passionate we are to turn the mountains upside down to find gold, to find silver and precious jewels to fill our pockets. If only we had the passion to find wisdom from the Lord with that same passion. Where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth. It is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not in me. It cannot be bought for gold. Silver cannot be weighed as its price. From whence then does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? And so the Lord says to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is wisdom. And so to turn from evil is understanding. It puts our passion into the heart of the people of God to know the Lord, to know Him and to love Him and to understand Him and for Him to fill us with knowledge and wisdom that comes from Him. So consequently, uh, when, when Joshua was beginning and facing, facing the, the monsters across into the promised land, what did the Lord say to him at the very beginning, to, to Joshua chapter 1? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Um, that, that sense of uh, meditating on it day and night. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Then you'll be prosperous. Then you'll be successful. This idea of, of being in God's word day and night. The same thing you'll find in Deuteronomy 17 to the kings. If you're going to be a king, you're going to be tempted with power, money, and sex. Deuteronomy 17, it's written right there. My language, same thing, go with it. <laughs> but what he says to any king that may come up, your job is to write down the words of this law and meditate on it day and night. Why is that? So that pride might not fill your heart. 
It builds character. You learn to fear the Lord and to walk in a manner of humility before the people that you're about to serve. See, the point behind this is that the derivative wisdom of the Lord is in the people of God that have a foundation of the Scriptures being the Word of God and the Holy Spirit taking as the author of the Scriptures and applying it into everyday life. And that's the way it's intended to be. So that the more we come to know the wisdom that comes from the Lord, the knowledge that comes from the Lord, the more we come to know the Lord. Does that make sense? And so with that in mind, and you very rarely, I think, hear this talk in my circles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What does that mean? It means, it means very simply we're now in the presence of the Lord. And that's what the people of God do as they come around us, as we spiral into the presence of the Lord. That's why worship is such a hard thing. Do you ever find, as, as, you're, as you're learning to be in the, in, the, in the context of worship, how in control you are as you worship? That's on the design. And the design of worship is the opposite. The design of worship is to get your eyes off of you and your story and your situation and all that you can get. And whatever spiral you're in, whatever pressure you're in, and begin to enter the courts of the Lord, into the presence of the Holy, and begin to and begin to offer yourself to Him. Offer your body a living sacrifice. Offer yourselves unto the Lord. Why? Because He is the Lord who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the one who by wisdom made all things. He who is the one who by wisdom at the end of the Omega will judge the living and the dead. And for those who spiral because they're spiraling because of what's been done to them, because of injustice, to know that at the end there will be justice. There will be righteousness. For the judge will sit upon his throne. Oh yes, all things will be made clear and be made known. Don't, don't try to figure out the why of your circumstance. Figure out the who of your circumstance. It's who presides. How many of you have been down the why road in the middle of things like this? The why. The why. Why is this happening? Why? Is How many of you found fruitful labor in that country? <laughs> See, the thing is, is that that's where the, the actual increase of the spiral continues. What, what, what makes a difference is when is we find the Lord beginning to preside in it. And that's why when you come to moments like in the book of Revelation, all you've got is worship. You've got the, 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 the elders falling down before the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come. Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. You get this, this sense of a lamb standing before the throne, and you've got the, the people of God worshiping and praising. He who is declared Lord worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and glory and honor and power. Dear friends, what happens is that we begin to find we are in the presence of the Lord who is over all things. There isn't a storm bigger than him. This is the, this is the moment that, for, for me, 
see of the Lord is so, so extraordinary. In which he turns and says, such a moment like this, come to me. Oh, Lord, we are in heaven, lady. Come to me. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You're going to find rest for your soul. Do you think he meant that? See, he doesn't just have wisdom to give, Jesus actually is our wisdom. That's how the Bible says. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us. Wisdom from God. He became to us wisdom from God. Colossians 2.3 Resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. What is God's mystery? Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. He knows how to stand in the midst of whatever we're going through. And when the people of God stand around us and begin to get our eyes open Jesus, and begin to worship in the Spirit, begin to allow the words of Scripture to come bomb over us. Jesus is Lord over all these things. Please understand that I'm not speaking to you who may be in a spiral right now, but I am speaking to you as those in a culture which has made independence everything, that we are, we are necessary for each other. We have got to not walk alone and help others not walk alone because this is what we do. We come alongside. We come alongside to make sure people don't walk alone. I've got a friend who was in a spiral not long ago. His default mode is to withdraw, hide out, and, and just wait till the storm go, is past him. I call him. I find him withdrawn, introverted. I ask him, what's going on with you? He tells me this horrible story. He's withdrawn. He's decided to, that's his, that's his reaction. It's his emotional reaction. He's withdrawn. And so, he gets me. <laughs> it's all, I, I would, I, all I did was ask questions. That's part of my nature. I ask questions. I said, why are you doing this by yourself? I said, who's praying for you right this moment? He said, nobody knows. I didn't want to tell him that. I said, oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Hence our passage. It's time to grow up. We need each other. And so I got to come alongside and get him out of it. That's what we do with each other. Does that make sense to you? I have another friend who's in a spiral, and he's in the anger mode. And I listened to him. It was so much fun. <laughs> Everybody had done him wrong. I mean, there wasn't anybody who had not done him right. I mean, it was just emotion. It was just, he was flooded with a panic in his soul. And I got to be one of those people who, who get Jesus center in the conversation. Because that's what we do with each other. Does that make sense? Yes. Probably the favorite reaction of our present time in dealing with stress is to self-medicate. Mm -hmm. Alcohol consumption amongst Christians beyond moderation is everywhere. Anxiety meds, opioid addiction, all of these things. They're everywhere. Why? Because we don't know how to deal with this. We don't know what to do when the culture spins like this. And if you know what it's like to be on the South Carolina coast and watch the Weather Channel, you'll spin! You'll spin! Everybody spins with the Weather Channel. 
Okay, turn on the news. Spin. Is that? Am I not right about that? This is a this is a culture on hyper steroids. Somebody said to me, "This reminds me of the '60s." This isn't the '60s. We are a people who know how to handle this conversation because we are part of the body of Christ, and the life we need is derivative from that. So what do we do? We get one, two, or three people to come around, four people, five people, a house group, a house group of church, and we get intercessors. Who are the intercessors? Who are they? We get the hospitality. Who, who is it? Who's got the gift of faith? Who's got the gift of wisdom? Who's got the gift? Who's got the gift of passion? Who's got the? Who's got? Who is doing what they're doing to come alongside? And we are going to stand together and watch Jesus be Lord, no matter what happens in the story, to preside over it. Do you believe it's possible? And why is it possible? I know passage from Matthew eighteen twenty. Have you memorized it? Where two or three are gathered. This side doesn't. We're two or three. <laughs> His promise is to be in the body of Christ. And what does he do? He gives us his word. And he says, if you hear my word and do what I've told you to do, you're on a rock. You're built on the foundation of rock. That saving grace that allows us to believe to repent and to believe, and to have that new life come into us, and to know there isn't a storm that's going to take this house down. Do you believe that that's true? You know, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, and what did he do? He gave us the Comforter. Do you believe in God the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in his power and his might to give us the grace to face no matter what we are together in the body? So I got a call from a friend. Uh, uh, out in Colorado, a missionary is coming back from furlough, beaten up, massively beaten up. And this, um, this woman, um, who was a deacon in the church, calls me and says, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm so concerned. I said, why? Well, she said, our church is a mess. It's divided. People are this, doing this. Everybody's on this focused on this, it's tearing apart, it, there's nothing about everything. When you go, you can feel the tension. This used to be a church, when you walked in the doors, you knew the Lord was present. When you saw the people, you knew the Lord was present. But now, now, there's this weight, there's this tension, and it's, it's like, I don't, people don't want to invite people, because, now this never happens in your church, right? Or our church, or any church. <laughs> These are the Colorado ones. <laughs>
church is all messed up. We pray for your church. But gather the Christians together so that the missionary can come home and have a hospital, have an ER, have a place to get well, where joints and ligaments that live can nourish and knit together this dear person who's gotten off the field. Why? Because the church is healthy. And sometimes our leadership gets messed up. I know that. Everybody knows that. Everybody in this room knows leadership can get messed up. And thank God for the leadership at St. Philip's, yes? Yes. Amen. <laughs> but when we've got unhealthy leaders, there's no place to take the poor, the sick, the suffering, those in need. And that's what we're given to do in the body of Christ, to bring people alive. That it causes the growth of the body to the building of it itself in love, that this missionary might be healed and sent back to the field, that all of us might be strong again in the Lord. We've got him in the center of the church. We've got the word of God that's given us by the Spirit of God to grow us and to mature us. And then he gives us the ability in him to pursue him about whatever situation we're in. That's where testimony is born. I had a testimony of a man who came up to me the other day and he said to me, I want to tell you this is my story. He said, uh, I need you to know that, that um, I hate church, I never liked church, didn't want to go to church, and then I was dying. I was in the hospital and I was dying. And I was really, I was it. And my, my, my wife's a Christian, she was praying for me, wet her. <laughs> Religion. <laughs> Three men from a healthy church walked into that hospital who knew his wife and said it's time to pray. It's time to ask Jesus to be Lord of your sins, Lord of your life, Lord of your life. The doctor said he had days left. And the Lord recovered. And he said, you know, I have not left the church ever since. The body In the power of the Spirit of God. On the foundation of the Word of God. With Jesus head of the church. Lord of the church. <laughs> what does it mean to be a Christian? To have the inheritance of knowing that you've not just been baptized into Christ. You've not just been baptized into his death. You've not just been baptized into his resurrection. But according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, You've been baptized into the body of Christ. You've got family. And it's time for that family to be well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Just a reminder of what happens next.